Thank you, Jordan, for reading our scripture. Jordan always does a great job, and we appreciate him very much. A couple of things I need to, I guess, make amends for today. I made myself a note. I said earlier, I'm not the right man to do announcements. And uh, I mentioned this morning that we wanted to congratulate Riley for memorizing her Bible verse. And I said she was in Elizabeth Beaver's class instead of Robin Beaver's class. So, didn't even realize I did that, but nonetheless. And then the second thing is, uh, you ever heard of that movie Dumb and Dumber? Well, this is a Dumb and Dumber. I didn't realize I misspelled alter. And I got to thinking about that, and I thought, you know, I knew not going to kindergarten would one day have its drawbacks. I think I spelled it A-L-T-E-R. That's an alteration. A-L-T-A-R is an alter. And so I flubbed up on that too. So just wanted to make you aware of uh, the fact that I did make a couple of mistakes. I said this morning, some people may say I'm crazy. And now it's certifiable. And so we're going to be looking tonight at 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Well, actually, we're just going to look at several excerpts from 2 Timothy. We're going to be talking tonight about keeping the faith. What does it mean to keep the faith? There are a lot of things that we face in life that can cause us to throw up our hands and want to give up. And maybe I ought to ask this question. Have you ever been in a situation in life when you felt like the only thing to do was wave the white flag and say, you know what, I give up. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like just walking away, giving up? I imagine that many of us have. Many years ago, Winston Churchill said, never, never give up. There's a lot of truth in holding on and going on and remaining faithful. Sometimes things may look bleak. There are occasions in life when maybe we just don't know if we can make it any longer. When I read the scriptures, one of the things that stands out to me is that we can hold on and go on. And we can keep the faith. Paul is an example of that. So I want to talk tonight about keeping the faith. I want to begin our study by first of all saying that we should not get discouraged. As a matter of fact, I would say it like this. Don't get discouraged when you are submerged in suffering. It's very easy in life to become submerged in the sufferings of the present time. Job said many, many years ago, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. So don't give up when you're submerged in suffering. I had a, had a phone call this week. A lady that's been battling a number of health problems on the verge of giving up. And she said, you know, I know it's not right for a Christian to commit suicide. But for her to say that said to me, 
things are bleak. So my encouragement to us, don't give up. No matter how bleak, no matter how dark life may be, please do not give up. Let me just give you some examples in the life of Paul. Here's one who submerged in suffering, did not give up. Let me just call attention, first of all, to 2 Timothy chapter 2 in verses 8 through 10. Paul here speaks to us about his imprisonment for the Lord. As a matter of fact, when you look at the scriptures, what stands out, Paul suffered as a a prisoner. So, look at verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. He said, wherein or for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But he said, the word of God is not chained. Paul, as you well know, spent a lot of time in prison. Back in A.D. 62, he's writing now in about A.D. 68. In A.D. 62, the apostle Paul was imprisoned. And from a prison, he wrote what is typically called the prison epistles. Now he is suffering imprisonment. And as he's going to say in just a little bit, over in chapter 4, his departure from this life is at hand. Paul was acquainted with Roman imprisonment. I want to just read for you very quickly a little excerpt about the conditions of the Roman prison cells. Some have said that they could have been called the house of darkness. Few prisons were as dim, dank, and dirty as the lower chamber Paul occupied. Its neglect, darkness, and stench gave it a hideous and terrifying experience according to one Roman historian. So you think about here's the Apostle Paul. He is imprisoned. He is suffering for his faith, submerged, as we would say, in suffering. And yet he doesn't give up. As a matter of fact, he says, look, I'm suffering even to the point of change, but God's word is not changed. So what's he doing? He's using those negative circumstances as a positive. To do what? To share the gospel, isn't he? Doing everything within his power to turn a negative into a positive. And so I think about the fact that he suffered as a prisoner. He also suffered persecution. Turn over, if you would, and look at chapter 3 in verse 10. Paul said, You've carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance. Now listen to him, verse 11. Persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And then listen to him. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So you take first the numerous times he was imprisoned. And then you add to that the severe persecutions that he faced in life. As a matter of fact, back in Acts chapter 15, 
The Bible tells us, speaking of Paul and Barnabas, these men risked their lives for the kingdom's sake. Now you just think about that. They were literally putting their lives on the line for the gospel to expand the borders of the kingdom. And yet they did so willingly, gladly. And Paul here could speak of those great persecutions and he said, look, I faced a number of battles, a number of trials in my life, but ultimately, when it's all said and done, the Lord delivered me out of them all. Then, there's a third thing I want to share with you in this point. We think about the fact that he was a prisoner, that he was persecuted, and then, what about the fact that he suffered pain? Turn back with me, if you would, for just a moment. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 for a minute. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul chronicles some of the adversities that he faced. And of course, I would grant that all three of these subpoints are tied together. In verse 23, Paul asks this question, are they ministers of Christ? He said, I speak as a fool. He said, I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. In other words, he had 195 stripes laid upon his back. He said, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often. In perils of waters. In perils of robbers. In perils of my own countrymen. In perils of the Gentiles. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. And then listen to him in verse 27. In weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. So Paul here is saying, look, by way of pain I have suffered physically, Emotionally, mentally. Here's a man that understood. He understood pain. Was he submerged in suffering time and again? Yes. Did he give up? The answer, absolutely not. I think about a man, even though maybe his back may have seemed to be against the proverbial wall, fought his way out time and again and was ultimately faithful until the very end. There's a second thing I want to call attention to in our study. First, we think about the fact that we're not to give up when submerged in suffering. Secondly, I would say do not give up when you are forsaken by friends and foiled by foes. Turn over now, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is going to talk about those who forsook him. I want to begin by first of all talking about the fact that Paul was forsaken by his friends. Sometimes when we need allies the most, when we need friends the most, they are there for us the least. The Bible says that there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And yet the Apostle Paul can speak of the fact 
that time and again, in his hour of need, what happened? No one stood with him. No one was there. As a matter of fact, back in chapter 1, verse 15, he said, all those in Asia have turned away from me. Listen to him now. In verse 9, writing to Timothy, he said, Be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas, he said, has forsaken me. Now Demas, when Paul wrote in AD 62 to Philemon, and Philemon is one of the prison epistles, in verse, 20, in verse 24 of that one chapter, Paul identifies Demas as a fellow laborer. Here's somebody that was... As we would say in the harness, he is a fellow soldier. He is a member of the body of Christ. He is a co-laborer. And here Paul says, look, Demas, one of the guys that had stood with me and served with me, labored with me, now he has forsaken me. Why? He became captive of the world. And then drop down, if you would, and look at verse... 16, Paul said, at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. Do you remember in Mark's account with regard to the betrayal, arrest, crucifixion of Jesus? It was said of the Lord's disciples that they all forsook him and fled. Did he need them in that hour? Yes, he did. But they were not there for him. And so Paul here is simply saying, look, in my hour of trial, in my hour of need, at my first defense, he said, no one stood with me, not a soul, but all forsook me. He said, may it not be charged against them. Now listen to him in verse 17. I mentioned a moment ago the fact that Paul was in prison, he was persecuted, he suffered immense pain, and yet with regard to those difficulties, he could say, out of them all, the Lord delivered me. So he didn't give up. Look at chapter 4, verse 17. Though many had forsaken him, all had forsaken him. Here's what he said, verse 17. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Now listen to him in verse 18. And note, if you would, this air of confidence. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul here is not saying that the Lord's going to preserve him from physical death. How do I know that? Because in verse 6 he says, look, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure, he said, it's at hand. What he is saying is, look, ultimately I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose this battle with Nero. I'm going to die. But the Lord, the Lord is going to stand by my side. So, they were friends. People that should have been allies that did not stand with Paul. Now let me just pause here and ask this question. In your life, and you think about some of the things that you have faced in your life, 
Have there been times when you've thought about giving up? Have there been times when the pain has been overwhelming? The suffering immense? Ever been occasions in your life when, quite frankly, you couldn't see, you couldn't see the end in sight? And then, on occasions, when you've needed people the most, whether they're friends, family members, whatever, you needed somebody. You wanted somebody. Nobody was there. Nobody stood with you. Let me tell you what. Paul, Paul would understand. Sometimes maybe we don't give credit enough to some of the people that we read, that we read about in the Scriptures. It might be the case that we have this idea that they were superhuman. That they didn't face the same difficulties and they didn't face the trials that we encounter in life. The fact of the matter is they faced them. And they met them head on. And were there times when they were dismayed and discouraged? Yes. Were there times when no doubt they were overwhelmed to the point they thought about giving up? Elijah comes to mind. And yet, what did they do? They learned to trust God, didn't they? And so I think about Paul. Here is Paul, forsaken by friends. And guess what? Even though forsaken by all of his friends, all of his allies, he could say, let me tell you what, the Lord stood with me. And don't you think in writing to young Timothy, he was saying to Timothy, you know what? As a young evangelist, it may be the case that down the road, those who are closest to you are not going to stand by you. And you need to understand the Lord will stand. He'll stand with you. Matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews, and if it were to have been Paul, he said, speaking of God, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now you think about that. God in heaven promising to never forsake us. And then I think about his foes. Verse 14. Paul said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Some translations say he did me much evil. I have no idea of knowing what exactly Alexander did to harm Paul, to hurt Paul. But Paul said, may the Lord repay him according to his works. He said, you also must beware of him for he has greatly resisted our words. Sometimes we have people that are, just to be blunt, a thorn in our flesh. And they can make life so rough. And there are some people in the world today, I think they delight in trying to inflict pain on us. You may know somebody like that. You don't view them as an ally, you view them as an adversary because time and again they have been adversarial in the way they've treated you. Back in Psalm 55, David talked about somebody who had been very, very close to him and had literally gutted him. Was he deeply hurt? Yes, he was. What I love about the Apostle Paul, rather than trying to vindicate his cause and rather than trying to take vengeance into his own hands you know what he said 
Lord will take care of him. And so sometimes when we are foiled by our foes, when they hurt us, when they mistreat us, when they malign us, when they are downright ugly to us, what do we need to do? Turn it over to the Lord. Let him handle it. And he can handle it. Third thing I want you to see in our study, and that is don't be discouraged, or rather, don't give up when you are dismayed by darkness. Sometimes life can be very bleak. There are times in life when everything seems dark and dreary. Sometimes it's hard to see the light of day when things are not going like we think they ought to. Look, if you would, at verse 6. In verse 6, Paul here is talking, as you well know, about his ultimate departure from this world. And let me just pause here and ask this question. What is the absolute worst thing that can happen to you? What's the worst scenario that you can contemplate in your mind? For many of us, when we think about the worst circumstance or the worst, bleakest situation, it would have something to do with death, wouldn't it? Either our own death or the death of a loved one, somebody very close to us. And there are times in life when, as you well know, death preys upon us. And we lose a friend, a family member, and it can be overwhelming. It's in times like that that we could become dismayed by the darkness. So here's the Apostle Paul. Think about sitting in, think about sitting in your doctor's office. And he comes in and he says, I got, I've got some bad news. Matter of fact, I talked to a friend of mine a while back. We've been friends for a long, long time. And he has been just a golden friend, great friend. Somebody I could trust, I could rely upon. And he was diagnosed with cancer. Cancer in three different spots. And they told him, they said it's stage four. And so he asked the doctor, he said, how long do I have? The doctor said, a year, maybe two. He said, but you need to understand, if things go south, in other words, if things take a turn for the worse, he said, you'll go quickly. Just like that. So you think about getting news like that. Dismayed by darkness? Yes. I remember when I remember when Braden was born. I guess the thing I wanted more than any other thing was to see him grow older. As a parent, that's what you want, to see your children grow up, to get out on their own, don't you? Doesn't always happen, does it? As you get older and as they get more settled in life and you, and you see they're going to make it, 
I'm not saying you'll want to die, but I'm saying it makes it a lot easier to think about leaving this world, doesn't it? So here is Paul. And as we would say, he is riding from the vantage point of being terminal. You know what that means, don't you? The end is near. And so he said, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. He said, the time of my departure is at hand. Now let me just pause here. Paul here is speaking about being at the crossroads of life. And what he's saying is, you need to understand something. You need to understand the brevity of life. Paul, probably in his 60s, and from where I stand, from where you stand, in this day and time, 60 is not that old, is it? Or to be in your 60s is not that old. Well, Paul is saying, look, my life here, my journey here upon this earth it's coming to a close. The brevity of, of life. What you need to understand, that same hour that came upon the Apostle Paul, it'll come upon you just as it will, just as it will come upon me. Do you remember what the psalmist said? That he said we might live to be 70. We might even live to be 80 years of age. But he said it's soon cut off and what happens? He said we fly away. So in light of that, he said, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. I can tell you this, the older you get, the faster life goes. It goes so quickly. And so Paul is talking about the brevity of life. But then he also talks about his bravery in this life. Look at verse 7. I fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have done what? I have kept the faith. Just a minute ago, we looked at some of the difficulties and the trials that he faced in life. He talked about how the Lord had delivered him out of all of those things. He talked about how the Lord had stood with him and strengthened him. And he says, look, I've lived a faithful Christian life. Now, we talk about being dismayed by darkness. And don't give up when you are dismayed by darkness. But what you need to understand, what I need to understand is, as a Christian, death is not the end, is it? It's the beginning. Beginning of what? It's the beginning of eternal life. We've got to walk one quarter to get to the other, don't we? You remember in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 23... David in the long ago talked about how the Lord, he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, etc. And he's talking about the Lord, isn't he? And he's talking about what the Lord will do for him. But then when he got to verse 4, what did he say? He said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for what? He said, for you're with me. He's talking about the shepherd in the first three verses. In verse 4, he's talking to the shepherd. And what he's saying to the Lord is, look, when I face the valley of the shadow of death, I know this, you'll be with me. So rather than being dismayed by darkness, Paul could say, look, you need to understand, 
You need to understand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now in light of all of that, and he was literally at the crossroads of life, now he can talk about the crown of life because when you come to a crossroads, you've got to go one of two ways. So he's going the road, as we would say, that leads to eternity. And so in light of that, here's what he said, finally. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. Not to me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. Now I want to ask you a question. And you think about facing death, the concerns, anxieties, fears that sometimes we have. Did you see any fear? Did you read any fear into that text? In the words of Paul? Did you get the feeling that there was some anxiety, some anxiousness in what he was saying? I didn't get that, did you? Let me tell you what I got. I got absolute 100% confidence, assurance. That's why when Paul, could, when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he could say, look, we know that if the earthly house, this tabernacle, that is this body, this tent, be dissolved, that is, gives way to death. He said, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. I'm here to tell you that's confidence. From one perch, it might seem discouraging, bleak, dark, to think about death. But what Paul is saying is, look, you need to understand. To live for me, he said, it's Christ. It's all about living for the Lord. He said, but if I die, he said, to live is Christ, to die is what's to gain. He said, to depart and be with Christ is far better. Now, I've never been to heaven. Never seen a picture of it. I can read about it. And I try in my mind to visualize the beauty of heaven. I try to think about what heaven will be like. This morning in Bible class, we were reading from Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul bowed his head and prayed to the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, of whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named. Do you have family members on the other side? You got friends? Do you have people that at one time you love spending time with? I know what, you're, I know what the answer is. It's yes. You know why? Because I've got them too. And to me, one of the joys getting to go to heaven is being reunited with people that I have long since said goodbye to. So one day we'll be reunited. You think Paul was looking forward to being with some people that he had loved and served with in days gone by? I would imagine just as all of us have. So, 
no matter how no matter how dark it may appear in life don't give up keep the faith because as Paul said there's a crown waiting if you're here today and you're not a Christian as always we encourage you to come to Christ greatest decision you'll ever make two people made that decision this week two young people made the decision to become a Christian what did they do did they believe Jesus to be the Son of God yes they did we heard Joy's confession this morning did he believe Jesus to be the Son of God to turn from sin called repentance to confess we believe Jesus to be the Son of God. And then to be immersed in water. Why? So that all of our sins can be washed away. Let me tell you what. There is no greater feeling in the world than to rise from that water knowing that all your sins are washed away. You remember what Ananias said to Paul? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. That's why Paul could be so confident, because he knew where he was going. If you're here tonight and you're not what you ought to be as a Christian, look, we'd be happy to pray with you. We'll be happy to pray for you as we stand and sing.